Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Your gracious. My lip just hit the microphone. Did you see that? Mm-mm. Oh, good. Because, you know, my, my big lips. Um, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time to Innovation Crush, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, smart people doing smart things. And today, the buck does not stop. Hi, Mara Abrams. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm, good. I'm in I'm in good spirits today. Um, uh, so, for the people who may not know, who are you? Who am I? Yes. How do, how would you define Amara Abrams? Well, I would define myself as somebody working at the intersection of social impact and innovation, and really trying to look at how you do that at scale. So, how do you work with partners to make sure that whatever that thing that you're building is actually really impactful in the biggest way possible. So at the moment, um, I am actually working with the federal government. I'm the founder and co-director of the Census Open Innovation Labs, which is um, a team that we stood up a couple of years ago within the US Census Bureau to solve some of the biggest challenges facing the public via the Census Bureau. And we're using a lot of the strategies that I learned in the private sector and elsewhere in the nonprofit and philanthropy space yeah. to really scale those innovations um, across the U.S. So we're, we have a mandate to reach, you know, around 340 million people. So you, I've, I've learned that in the... In the <laughs> no, no small task. No small task. And I've learned that public service is actually a really amazing way to reach that kind of scale. Or a Logan Paul video. Well, <laughs> I'll leave. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> no, I, that, I mean that's a pretty lofty goal. And yeah. you said this team is two years old. Yes. Um, how close to the three hundred forty million are you so far? Like, what's it? What does it take in terms of thinking broadly enough? And in, like, literally, this is the most inclusive thing I can think of. Yeah. Um, so, what? Where do you start? Where do you start? Um, you start to understand the needs of the different communities that need to be counted. And you start by working with the stakeholders who have already been working with them for decades, um, you know, have been through many decennial censuses. Um, our next one is coming up in 2020. So we have to kind of start with, okay, how do we actually put a 21st century lens on the way that things have always been done? Um, how do you reach them in um, this new media landscape that looks nothing like it did in 2010 when we did our last census or in 2000? Um, you know, in 2010, the iPhone was three years old, <laughs> which is pretty insane. It's pretty insane if you think about it. So. Like the, uh, yeah, because I, I mean, you gave a really great uh, TEDx talk about this very well, about your entire role. But specifically, that was one of the things that wowed me is just to like how much the world has changed in 10 years from social media to Snapchat to just how fast information travels, mm -hmm. like a thing on a social media. Like, um, are, are those platforms and things that you'll employ, you know, yeah. like, will it be more digitally collected or, you know, are we still yeah. like going door knocking or are we doing a little <laughs> bit of uh, both? A little bit of both, hopefully less door knocking and more digital. Um, so 2020 will be the first online census uh, or online first census, I should say. There will still be, uh, you know, paper and phone options. Um, but the idea is we want as many people to self-respond as possible. And there's a window um, next spring in which you can do that. 
if you don't actually self-respond, uh, then, you know, everyone will get a paper form. Um, and then after that, if you still aren't responding, then the door knockers come. Those are called enumerators and they will go to every household in the U.S. That is uh, that's a lot of shoes. It's a lot of people we have to hire, hundreds of thousands of people. So it's actually the largest staff up in the United States, aside from the military in wartime. Yeah, I was I was just re- like 900 employees plus, right? And, and even just statistics like 75 million address changes have been tracked. Just like the, the massiveness of this. How much mm. does your innovation work touch on the the door knocking aspect of it versus engagement and awareness. It's more on engagement and awareness. Um, And we're the open innovation lab. So that means that we're not necessarily changing any any of the existing structures or tactics. We are working to partner with outside organizations and networks to solve some of these big challenges. We may put out, you know, some kind of challenge where where other uh, companies or networks are actually working on um, you know, solving the hiring challenge. Um, so it's more like open innovation includes things like prize competitions, like ideation sessions, like a dance challenge. (laughs) It could be a dance. It could be a dance. Maybe a census dance would be the thing to do. Dancing with the census. Dancing with the. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, wow. I could do this all day. I I will put you to that task. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. But it's a great list. Keep like, Please, I guess who are some of those partners that you're reaching out to, or that you know, or people also reaching out to you? To yeah, to it ranges. Like I mean, anyone you could think of could actually be considered a partner. Um, but what the approach that my team is taking is actually bringing unconventional partners together. So we may have a county commissioner alongside Rock the Vote, alongside a national advocacy organization like the Leadership Conference, um, which is an umbrella organization to uh, several hundred civil rights organizations. We work with them very closely. But then we may bring in like a creative network, like, um, you know, some kind of uh, creative alliance or something like that, um, and bring them kind of all in a room together, all on one specific challenge so that you're tackling that challenge from many different angles. And when I say challenge, usually for us, it means uh, looking at a particular um, group that we call hard to count. Um, There's a long list of those groups. Um, They tend to be people who are um, typically marginalized in our society. Um, so it's low income people, renters, people of color, um, immigrants, um, but kids under five also are severely undercounted, um, you know, uh, rural populations, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this long list of people who are, um, hard to count for different reasons. Yeah. And we're kind of like building these little collectives to help solve the challenge of like, how do you actually reach those people most effectively? Yeah. Talk a little bit about the consequence because you eloquently stated this before, one of the, the stats I heard you say, uh, two million children were uncounted. Un- under, yeah, not counted in the 2010 census. And even in L.A. County alone, it led to a $500 million annual loss of funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess with the – because a, a big part of that is trust. It's one of the biggest words I wrote on my notes. But – how do you go about gaining trust mm. from those individuals and instilling that through innovation? Yeah, absolutely. So 
Um, it's all about working through what we call the trusted voices. Um, you know, we are running a massive advertising campaign starting next January, like we as in the Census Bureau. Um, and that will be the official Census Bureau kind of led campaign. It's based on years of you know, research and message testing. Um, so, you know, there's going to be that. But, you know, our team's position is that we need to actually supplement that with um, you know, helping the community voices, the trusted voices, you know, whether it's a church leader or, you know, uh, a brand like McDonald's or something, um, we need to equip them with the tools to help them do their own outreach. So it's not just coming from the government because trust of the government right now is at an all time low. Um, and so we know that like government led messaging won't, won't be enough. We yeah. really have to make sure that, um, community members and the people who are already on the ground doing get out the count efforts, which we call them because it's such a parallel between that and get out the vote, um, in, in terms of operations and how you reach people. Um, but, but really getting those people on the ground, um, who are already working on those efforts, get, get them the resources that they need. So basically we're sort of serving as a matchmaker between the creative communities and the people who are already, um, executing those types of efforts. Yeah. It's it's interesting that you mentioned traditional advertising in, in that sense, um, but also coupling it with these other moments that you want to create. What have you have you looked into like the change or the shift in consumer psychology over the let's say ten years ago? Our attention spans were a little bit mm -hmm. probably you know longer, and a message could stick. Yeah, here it's yeah. like whatever headline is the headline of the day goes away tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, a large piece of our advertising budget is focused on digital, uh, which is a pretty new thing, or we're focusing more on, on digital than, than ever. But of course it has to, you know, incorporate those kind of consumer behaviors or, um, you know, and that's kind of why we kind of work with the, the members of different communities to see what messages are sticking, what aren't, and then the formats. And of course we're going to be, um, looking at all the analytics and, and stuff like that to make sure that we can tweak those messages and make sure they're hitting as many eyeballs yeah. as possible. Um, on the other side of trust, I think um, the rumor has it, or at least the, the popular belief is that there are also entities who want to abuse the count mm. in some way. Mm -hmm. um, is there an effort in place to combat that? Or is it just more about like, Engaging the people to, uh, I'll say, take the risk, mm -hmm. quote unquote, um, to to be counted despite any opposition. Yeah, of course, we're we're definitely kind of looking at that from all angles, offense and defense. And um, the thing is that you know people have always wanted to manipulate the census. Um, you know, people who don't want certain groups to be counted. Uh, for various reasons. And um, the difference is that that used to be kind of like poster campaigns or like, you know, they'd put up misinformation um, in, in a storefront or something like that, whereas now they're, the tactics have have completely changed. And so, of course, there's going to be people trying to manipulate it, um, whether that's through the spread of, of disinformation or whether that's through direct attacks. Um, but of course, we are uh, kind of doing everything we can on the, both the offense and defense side to prevent that. This is the game time. It's game time. <laughs> yeah, we just hit the one year out mark. Yeah, how does it feel? Crazy. Like, like how do you like how do you actually feel right now? It you, feels like, like okay, we've been. I mean, I've been at this for like two and a half years, and it feels like we've had like all these great discussions and we're building partnerships, and then suddenly like the year happened. It was like okay, like no, this is like actually happening. Like yeah. we're actually doing this. Yeah. So it's great. It's an awesome catalyst because we don't have time to waste. So. 
the clock is truly ticking and it's like you, whatever you do, you know, it has to work. And that's kind of been the biggest difference between this and like some of the other work that I've done, like in the foundation world, for example, whereas like we kind of have, we obviously, you know, if you're like when I was at the Nike foundation, we were solving, helping to solve global poverty. And so of course you want to do that as quickly as possible. But this is the first time I've had like there's a no real ticking clock per se, like, clock, not, like, not like by comparison. There's, to there's what like this a is. real time constraint, and I think that's actually a really good thing because it's a catalyst for us to be like, all right, it's now or never to do these things that work. And you're also like you're a first ever, right? This is the first ever lab inside the census, first ever innovation effort. Yeah, in, in- I mean, there's been like kind of an internal innovation lab, but we're the first ones who are all about open innovation. So like you know, um, looking at how you can solve problems for the public using federal open data, for example, is like a big, big one of our projects. So it's really all about partnering with the, with the outside. And it's like basically recognizing that, and this, this goes for any institution, any organization, but you have to recognize your own limits. Um, and by kind of crowdsourcing, like tapping into the wisdom of the crowd, you can say, you know what, we may have the best and brightest statisticians in the world, but maybe we don't have the best and brightest creators or, you know, influencers or Chris in the Denson. world. Or Chris Denson. Unless I try to hire you, which uh, I may, I I may gotta, attempt I got a couple to. extra days. Okay. <laughs> 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 I'm sure you would love being a fed. <laughs> um, uh, so that kind of led me to this idea of the third pillar of trust, which sounds like a book title, but <laughs> um, which I think is you in, in this regard, right? Mm. Um, why did you get this phone call and why did they believe in you to be the person to lead this effort yeah i think i like was kind of a generalist who carved out a really niche space if that makes sense um i kind of worked across a lot of different issue areas ranging from education to um, helping girls out of poverty to empowering journalists um in conflict and post-conflict regions um but that there was kind of like this thread of that where I was kind of taking really different approaches and bringing in um, collectives of people who just approach problems in really different ways to tackle these challenges and working in a really agile way and bringing some like entrepreneurial type of and like design thinking to these age old problems. um, I think I kind of built a reputation for that. And so, uh, you know, someone I knew who was a presidential innovation fellow um, kind of knew about my work and gave me a call and said, how would you like to do that for the government. And I, you know, it was a time when I was, I was going through a transition transition and I said, you know, why not? This is, this sounds like a pretty amazing opportunity. That's cool. Uh, no, cause that, it, did it at any point feel daunting once you realized what the gravity is or did you have enough practice in <laughs> sort of this space to yeah. go like, all right. I, no, like- no, I, I, had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> I know nothing could have really prepared me. In fact, um, you know, I kind of came in thinking I was going to run an accelerator. I know that's like very trendy to do, but I, I thought it would be like, you know, really cool to start one of the first, you know, startup accelerators within the federal government and, you know, working with startups who are using, um, using like census data, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, and it evolved into this much bigger thing that is actually still a big part of our work. Um, but it evolved into this, um, 
like I, I just actually personally didn't even understand the gravity of the decennial census. And once I understood that, I was like, okay, whoa, this is this is like one of the most important things I could possibly be doing. You're like, Excuse me, and you went, went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'll be right back. Just one, one exactly. second. Um, so go ahead. Well, just... actually, I'm just realizing now that I, I don't think I even like covered why the decennial census is so important. I know, I know you mentioned kind of billions of dollars we got time, go for it. back into the community, um, but it's also kind of how we divvy up um, money, power, money and power. Mm. And it's also data, data that determines so many facets of our lives. Um, so apportionment is the number of uh, congressional seats each state will gain or lose. Um, it's redistricting on a congressional and a more legislative local levels. Um, and of course, it's how federal funding comes into states. We have one chance to get it right every 10 years. Um, we've been doing it since 1790. We used to do it by horse. <laughs> um, it's written into the Constitution, constitutionally mandated to count every single person living in the United States. Um, and so, as you mentioned, you know, if certain populations aren't counted, they don't get their fair share of um, you know, political representation and funding for things like schools, healthcare, SNAP programs, like all types of assistance, roads. I mean, it's all of the infrastructure that runs our lives. And so, you know, how do you know to build a school down the road if like no one's counted out there? Mm. If you're going to think there's no population there or an undercounted population, you're not going to, you know, build those programs or those, um, you know, critical pieces of our lives. So it is one of the most fundamental pillars of U.S. democracy, but not enough people know this. I didn't even know it. No, it sounds it, like the most important one. Like, the, yes. <laughs> and that's why I've just been on this mission where it's really funny. I work remotely from LA. And so I'm like often at these places where you would not expect, you know, a federal employee yeah. to be talking about this. Like census. flash your badge at a <laughs> yeah, at, flash my badge. At the standard <laughs> hotel. <forgive> me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've now like kind of built this reputation as like, oh, you're the census girl because I just won't shut up about it because it is this thing that we have to pay attention to. We have to. Um it's it's just so it's, you know, I think my opinion is it's as important as voting. Um, but the thing is like, no one knows it. No one knows it. So I, I, very I mean, few people based do. on what you've said, I, like, I would almost go, it's not to disencourage voting, but it's <laughs> almost more important than voting. Cause mm -hmm. there's so many things that happen just based on the math. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. um, no, it, that, that's the cause and effect that that one, if I wrote down a little diagram, I'll explain it to you later. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I thought about your entry point coming to this, right. You know, like, oh, I did some stuff at Nike. and <laughs> But <laughs> but then what we just talked about, how the gravity of, of all this. Mm. Um, there's also the ambiguity, right? Mm. Going into a situation where you kind of get it. You, you know enough, but you don't know everything. Just walk us through how to operate in ambiguity. Like, it, it, whether it's at the Census Bureau or somewhere mm. else, you know, I'm sure you've walked in a few rooms where you're like, oh, I thought we would. Okay, well, here <laughs> we go. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really about taking on that beginner's mindset wherever you go and not trying to be the smartest person in the room, but trying to, you know, talk to people who know what they're talking about. And even though I know that I have a really different lens on things, like given that I have a lot of expertise in innovation and future thinking and that sort of thing, but also to like check myself and, be, you know, before like, you wrecked yourself. Yeah, I know I was about to finish that, but I knew you would do it I for me. Wanted, I saw you wanted it to come out. I, know, I was like, I was like <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll volley this one or serve it. Thank or, you. Yeah. yeah. So that's a big part of it is like kind of listening and learning. But at a certain point, 
you know, you have to get out of your own analysis paralysis and just start doing stuff. And so we're sort of like this experimental arm where we start like little, you know, prototypes of things. If we have an idea to do, you know, uh, 20 um, events across the country and it's going to solve this problem, um, you know, start with like one really tiny event with like 10 people. And so it's, I think, and then you're going to learn. And even if, you know, part of that, you know, isn't as successful as you wanted it to be, what you can do is look at it and say, you know what, these are the parts that are not working. This is what it is. And here's how we can move forward. In this case, what has the organization's response been or uh, maybe not response, but just reaction to dipping your toe in the water, right? These like smaller mm. experiments just to see if we get there, especially when you're up against a very hard deadline, you yeah. know, I think that happens in a lot of businesses where like, we got to have this and you're like, I, we don't have time to experiment. I think we, we're, yeah, I think we're up against a hard deadline. We're also up against kind of a different, um, mindset around how to approach things. And I think that's okay. I mean, I think for good reason, um, the government has, has built kind of, uh, it, it's, it's very methodical and there's a lot of policies and procedures um, and sometimes we clash with those, but I think what's most important is that we do have a lot of support from from our leadership to have this little sandbox. And so we so we play in that sandbox. And I think it's really about, you know, for the people who might not completely understand the way that we work, um, it's about kind of speaking to them in, in, in a language that they understand and not using like crazy buzzwords. I know we've made that mistake too many times mm -hmm. before, um, but, you know, just kind of um, and, and making sure that it's really kind of helping them to reach their goals. Because if it looks like that, like we're chasing bright, shiny objects and just doing all the cool stuff, like no one's really going to get on board with that. But if we say like, hey, this Steve Aoki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if we say Steve Aoki is actually going to help you do your job better then like, hey. <laughs> um, walk me through this creative hackathon because you're fresh off of that. You're, yeah, you're uh, in the great Northwest. Yeah, I was up in in Portland, Oregon, uh, doing something that we call Creatives for the Count, and so basically we're matching the needs of nonprofits doing um, census outreach with creatives, and so we partnered with a number of kind of creative networks, and then. Um, kind of local. When you um, say creative, what is that? Are we talking painters? Are we talking yeah. videographers? Are we yeah. talking, oh, yeah. oh all poets? Of it, all of it. All of it. I mean, I mean, we didn't kind of consider the general public, you know, we can kind of lump that in there. I mean, what, what we're really looking for is kind of designers, filmmakers, storytellers, digital strategists. But, you know, there's a lot of people who will show up to these things just saying, hey, I want to help. And we can show them how to use Canva or something or like make memes or, you know, like there's, you don't have to be like the most brilliant designer to be able to just make stuff. So we really try to eke creativity out of every single human who takes an interest in this, <laughs> whether they consider themselves creative or not. Is there anything like out of that mm -hmm. operating system that you're personally excited? I mean, I'm sure you're excited about it all, but is there one thing that like stands out as like, oh, that was a great idea that came out of mm. this that we're actually moving it's, forward? It's more like the volume of ideas and having a platform to follow through with those ideas. Um, kind of the initial approach my team was taking was to do these like ideation sessions. We did dozens and dozens and then they're still actually going on. Um, but I really wanted to take that further beyond the idea stage and like actually start making stuff. Um, which is why we said, you know what, we can actually have some kind of short format event where people just come together and make stuff. And it's really fun and really engaging. And then if they want to continue building that stuff out, they can do so at like, you know, in a virtual kind of way. 
Um, so I think it's just like the, I, I can't say that there's like one idea that's yeah. like, whoa, but it's like the sheer number of people who are solving problems for different populations, um, who are doing it across the country. That's the most exciting thing for me. And what we're really looking for now is partners who can like help us scale that up because we're a really small team. We need to find, you know, um, what, whatever group it may be who says, you know, I want to take this on. I want to, you know, put this take on this format in my own school or my own company or whatever it is. We're very excited about that. Do you ever find that it's, it's a little too open? I, Cause I, I think when you are a generalist and you, you kind of uh, present an opportunity as like, it could be whatever. And, mm-hmm. that, and I'm not taking away anything mm-hmm. from what you, what you said. Cause I go through it on, almost on a daily basis. It's like in my head, I know exactly mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm, or could mm-hmm. be or how this can net something. Yeah. But for a lot of people, sometimes it's just like, what do you want from me? Exactly. How can I contribute? You tell me or, or it just sounds like, Oh cool. You're starting the pot. That sounds great. Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> we actually have a whole process around this. And Ooh. so we will develop problem statements and creative briefs um, and we like are very specific about that. Um, so we'll basically go to whatever organization we're trying to help and say like, what is it that you need the most? And some of them will say like social media banners and other people will be like, you know, share graphics and other people will be like, we need a logo for this, we count Oregon initiative that we're running. And then we'll, so we'll basically say like, here's what we need, but then here's how different groups respond to different messages. Um, and so if it's the Asian American community, they might respond to messages about family. Um, or if, and, and then we kind of like get into the characteristics of those groups. And so we're giving them like kind of this full creative brief so that they do have some guardrails because otherwise yeah. you're right, it is too open. And like, I think people get overwhelmed with that. Um, you know, and I think just like being a really good facilitator is I'm learning that this is, it's such an important piece of it because there was kind of a part of the last event where we said, okay, go off and do stuff. And people were kind of like, Rrr. crickets. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, okay, uh, we need to actually have better. I got a shovel. You're like, yeah, exactly. that, that's and useless. Like, no, okay. Now you're going to, <laughs> you know, do this and do that, you know? So well, it's, it's, kind of it's funny because it, it's, I think what I find with most innovators is not most people think like innovators, right? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I think it's great to have expertise or be a disciplinarian in a certain vertical or, you know, output. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious as to, what are you good at? What am right. I good at? Because well, like you know, what's your superpower? Because it's it's like it's not like you're doing accounting or you're a coder or you know what <laughs> no. I mean. There's, there's not some I'm definitely and, not a statistician. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, like what's that unique Mara mm. Abrams thing mm. that kind of makes this all work? I think I'm really good at bringing unconventional partners together to do something that they wouldn't have been able to do on their own. And that's manifested in many different ways in my life, whether I was whether it was as global partnerships manager for the Nike Foundation, whether it's throwing a dinner party of which you've probably attended a few. Um, and just that. like, yeah, and it's it's almost like this <laughs> this like art and science yeah. of curation and like knowing that, hey, no one would have ever thought to bring that like crazy graffiti artist together with that like random organization, but here they are together and they're doing something really magical. Yeah. I like I, sometimes I refer to that as planned serendipity. I think yeah. sometimes you just put the right mix of people in the room, exactly. and suddenly they end up in a conversation, and you've got mm-hmm. that graffiti art logo for the state of Oregon. I just made it up, but, <laughs> but now it's an idea. Yeah. Um. Uh. What does that feel like when it when you see it working? Oh my god, there's there's probably no better feeling. It's so nice to just like step back and just be like, 
you know, this shit eating grin on my face. Like, oh my God, I did that. Like, it's really, it's just really gratifying. And it's, it's amazing to be able to have this platform. I think probably no one would suspect that the federal government is doing cool shit, but we are. Um, and I think it's just so amazing to be able to, you know, take a step back and say, oh my God, we're doing so much and it's really making an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, define impact in, in Mar Abrams terms. Yeah. I think I mean, it's, it's a word. You, it's a word we hear a lot. I know. It's like, it's like the word innovation. It becomes like ubiquitous. Yeah, what does it's it just even mean? mean? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. in, in your case, what does and it, I, what does it I think like there's, there's always this tension of like, do you want to like deeply impact the lives of 10 people or you want to like, you know, have some sort of impact on a hundred thousand people. And I think that's always going to be present, but, but no matter what, it's all about kind of looking at the problem and not just like creating solutions for a problem that doesn't exist. Um, so saying like, okay, what's really the problem, what's really going on here? And then being able to kind of address that in a way that makes a difference, whether that's, Hey, we got like a hundred thousand more people to respond to the census or whether that's like, you know, ensuring that girls have access to education. Um, it's about looking at that problem and knowing that, like, you know, again, taking that beginner's mindset and saying, like, you know what, I don't know shit about this problem, but I'm going to work with the people who do mm -hmm. and figure out, like, what is the best way to activate people to help, help those folks already doing the work um, to just be better resourced. I got to say, you, you got an A on my test. Oh, thanks. Because you said... I'm passionate about bringing together purpose-driven leaders, organizations, and community members to work together to create new solutions to the world's biggest problems. Mm. Um, that was from your website, maraabrams.com. <laughs> um, how did you... So th sometimes it's hard to articulate your personal brand, right? Like, it, mm. it, And not you, but just if, if you kind of play in a lot of different areas and you can bring people together. Um, when, did, when did it start coming together for you? Like the... The Mara Abrams brand story. Well, yeah, I mean, it all happened very serendipitously where I just kind of kept an open mind and I was constantly curious and I knew that I always wanted to do something, you know, that that had meaning in the world. And I think it was just like a series of kind of, you know, like being able to jump into something and say yes to various opportunities and then I started noticing some patterns in myself. Like I'm always drawn to sort of future thinking, how can you solve challenges with new technologies or new innovations? Um, and I realized like that was kind of the thread because I did jump around a little bit. You know, again, I was like working on media innovation. Jump around. Uh, wow. <laughs> yep. I went at this. It's, you just it's, went there. It's throwback Thursday. I'm going to publish this episode on the Thursday. Yeah, wow. Jump around. Um, mm. Should do something with those guys. I should. Yeah. They're still relevant, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Completely relevant. Continue. This is a problem when I, when I know people. I know. Con go ahead. I know. I mean, but I think like, you know, you could solve really any challenge facing society, but like, it's like basically a process of using methods that are that will work in any environment, whether it's any issue or any like kind of era of time, like just knowing like future proofing solutions and know, and, and the ability to kind of be agile and build coalitions and partnerships. I think those like, those are kind of the ingredients and in how I operate and how I've kind of positioned myself in the world as like someone who can um, look at a problem and figure out some strategies to chip away at that. Do you envision a day where your work will no longer be needed? 
Like, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, look, Jay Z said this in a in an interview recently. Uh, well, not recently, but like last year. But um, he talked about I forget which video it was for. Now I'm drawing a blank. But is basically like they, he created this world where there were no more first black anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the video presented is like. We stopped having that conversation. And I th- when I think about social issues or impact driven, you know, initiatives. The goal is always to eradicate, if not mm-hmm. at the very least, minimize it. Absolutely. Um, but do you I mean, do you have visions of grandeur of like <laughs> one day I won't need to have a job? Uh, one day I was that because your work will never idealist. be done. <laughs> otherwise, yeah. I mean, uh, ideally, absolutely, I'd be out of a job and meditating on some mountaintop in <laughs> Bali. That would be the dream. But um, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to solve all the world's problems in my lifetime. So for now, you know, you know, I'm just going to keep keep working on it. Because the reason that, that led me to such a larger question, because I, I think about the number of issues I come across on any given day or any of us, you know, you open a Twitter feed, there's going to be like five things you mm-hmm. deeply care about. And I just don't have the time, the resources, the you know, I, I got to go to work. Like, mm-hmm. just, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Such and such died of that. But mm. um, I'm going back to, you know, um, is does that ever pop up? Like just yeah. kind of like the the other side of FOMO where you're like, I wish I could, but I can't. And then how do you reconcile that? Yeah. So like, I wish I could just do something else or. Well, no, like mm-hmm. it, because there are so many issues that need addressing. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and I feel like sometimes I just feel oh, like yeah. overwhelmed. Like, oh, my gosh, like there's. I feel like an yes. asshole. <laughs> yeah, but I also think it's really important to just double down on whatever that thing you're working on is because otherwise you're just constantly going to be like, squirrel, there's another side of problem. <laughs> That's right. right. Like, but, you know, I think there are endless, endless, endless challenges that we're facing as a society. And I think it's okay to just choose one, you know, even though you know that climate change or something or education or there's all these other issues that, I very much care about, but I can, you can only do like kind of, (laughs) you can only do so much. And, and even if that's, you know, I think if, if someone's out there solving just that problem in the community, they're a doctor or whatever it is that they do, you know, just pick that thing and you don't have to do it all. By the way, I never know which garbage can to use. So if I walk into, if I go throw something away, there's like four garbage cans. I'm like, um, compost, recycle. It's so cool when they garbage. Like these, like biodegradable materials. Yeah, and then I was like, "What do I do with that one?" To put the I just thing eat in. It. I just eat those. <laughs> well, they're corn. So I'm sure. It's <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's, it's high fructose corn syrup. Hmm. Um, so Tanzania, Iraq, hmm. um, Kosovo. You, you've been all over the world, just with other work, and it, obviously, I think when you do this, another thing you mentioned in your TED talk was. You know, looking at how people respond to the census in other parts of the world, which I don't even think the layman of us would mm. imagine. Like, oh, yeah, I guess they do count people in France. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, like it's just we're so mm-hmm. Americanized. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen in those other territories that mm-hmm. maybe you want to apply here or vice versa? Do you take a census like after 2020? Do you go to another part of the world and help infuse this kind of thinking into counting or that, that yeah, exchange. Yeah, I'm probably not going to work on another country's census. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been curious about um, kind of building better governance um, in places outside of the U.S. Um, and so 
applying some of these tactics that I've found to be effective in the U.S. and seeing how we might be able to do that elsewhere is something I'm definitely interested in. I can't say that I'm an expert on how other countries do a census. I do think it's really interesting that the U.S. is one of the very few um, that conducts a census that's directly tied to democracy, whereas other countries, you know, almost every other country does a census, but it's more kind of demographics and data. And we certainly do it for that purpose, too. Um, but ours is, you know, as you know, it's it's directly in, it's in the Constitution and tied to our democracy. So that's what I found really interesting about it. But um, I would love to go out there and learn a little bit more about what what other countries do well, and how they do what it. You, you've been good at is, you know, going in, like I said, a beginner's mindset. And I think that mm -hmm. translates into other disciplines is part of the reason I get myself into trouble. Just because I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, yeah. You know, just we were uh, together last month mm. with this whole Gov City initiative. And I've never, like, I was on a neighborhood council 10 years ago. So it's like, that's the <laughs> that extent counts. of my governmental experience. And I'm like, I'm sitting in a room with folks like you and Homeland Security mm -hmm. and NASA and the Air Force. And I'm like, but I know that my naivete has value, right? Yeah. So I think the same thing happens when you show up. I would imagine. I don't want to speak for you, but yeah. Like, well, uh, let me throw it back at you. Ooh, and, okay. Yeah. And how did you approach that that situation? Not being familiar I, with the I government. I cried a lot. Oh. <laughs> yep. I'm still crying on the inside. <laughs> um, no, I think I think there's some there's there's an excitement to the wonder and the curiosity of a new domain. Like, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was at WonderCon, right? Like, so and then it's like nerds and geeks and people in costumes and, you know, LARPing and all this stuff. Uh, but I, I'm, I love like going into a world and figuring out how it works and then asking the dumb question or bringing the thing that is whatever's endemic to your, you know, your environment. Like, I'm going to go like, oh. Let's bring a polar, yeah, whatever, a bad example. But let's let's bring something that you would have not normally thought to align with this, your unlikely pairings kind of uh, mm -hmm. thing. But yeah, I think it's, I just have a genuine curiosity about how things work yeah. and how people work and what yeah. makes them tick. Mm. Um, what did little Mara Abrams want to be when she grew up? <laughs> I don't know if she knew. I think at, I, I think at one point, um, I, I, I don't know. I think I just had to pick something. I was like, dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. I was like, scientist. I yeah. just told the story the other day. I, for, for my, and my mom was so proud of it. Yeah. She was like, he wants to be a scientist. I was yeah. like, I don't know. I, I respect people in the dentistry field, but I, that really was not for me. But actually, from a pretty young age, like probably starting in high school, I've had this fascination with mass media and its effect on people. Mm. In fact, even in, in high school, I like wrote this paper on how, well, I'm dating myself, but how like those teen girl magazines were so detrimental to our like confidence and mental health and how you had to be like no one could ever be thin enough or white enough or whatever. And so like I think like really from an early age, I was like, well, how could you leverage mass media to do something good? Hmm. And so that's actually really been a thread throughout my career. I started off um, kind of in journalism and I realized, well, maybe there's something else I can do. And that kind of transformed into training um, other people to be journalists um, in a very rapidly changing journalism environment, you know, they're starting to become much more democratized. So how do you actually train people in the developing world or in low income areas or in conflict or post conflict regions to tell their own stories? And now everybody has a phone and everyone can tell their own story. So sort of like looking at that. Um, but I think that's really tied to like something I've always been interested in from a from a really early age you, all those examples kind of feel to me like you know people say oh you're ahead of your time but you're ahead of your time in a way where you can take 
that thinking and give it to people. Mm. You know, sometimes ahead of your time is like, ah, sorry, you you, you missed it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's insinuating missing a mark as opposed to being future forward enough that it can be implemented today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do do you think about that at all? I think about that a lot. And I think about when you asked what my talent or superpower was, I do think I'm really good at at bringing people together. But I wouldn't say that I'm like particularly talented or skilled in one thing, except that recognizing other people's talents and skills and recognizing that if you kind of replicate that, if you like understand sort of the, the value and creativity and brilliance of every human being on this planet you can tap into that and that creates a lot of um effect and wisdom at scale so that's kind of what i'm all about and hopefully transferring some of that future thinking and knowledge on onto other people as well um here's a bad segue speaking of future <laughs> you almost didn't have one <laughs> huh? oh my god huh? yeah we're going there okay yeah. okay you, you okay. ate some bad stew we're, we're <laughs> yeah this is really weird okay so i was 31 years old. I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time when I was working at Nike. I was traveling overseas all the time, Africa, Asia. But when I was actually back home in Portland, Oregon and 31 and otherwise healthy and like taking spin classes and stuff, um, I suddenly uh, fell ill and it felt like bronchitis. And then I suddenly got really bad where I couldn't breathe. And it turned out I had the freaking flu. Like who knew that the flu could almost kill an otherwise young and healthy person. But, um, you know, I was intubated in the ICU, critical condition, turned into pneumonia and all these other secondary effects and infections. And uh, a doctor said, well, you might not make it. Actually, I was kind of like drugged out at that time. But <laughs> I think they told my family. That I wouldn't. And, um, and, and that was like a real um, kind of turning point for me. Um, you know, it took uh, once I started recovering, it was a long recovery, but it really helped me to kind of uh, prioritize, you know, what's important. And I know that sounds very cliche for anyone who's been through an experience like that, but to say, you know, Hey, I have boundaries here. I'm not going to kill myself for a job as much as I do believe in Mm. this work that I'm doing, first of all. And then secondly, to just prioritize my own, you know, mental and physical and spiritual health i think there's there's nothing more important than that and it's a a constant reminder and sometimes i forget it and in fact i actually have this uh i I threw myself an i am alive party once i was well again and and a kind (laughs) friend laser printed this sign that says mara is alive and i have it like displayed very prominently in my house and it's just a reminder that like hey you know we don't actually have a lot of time on this planet, first of all. So do all the things that you can do, but also at the same time, don't kill yourself doing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it, it, there's statements like that, or, you know, when I think about anybody who's great at anything, right? There's usually, sometimes there's, they come from a negative or traumatic experience. Now, mm-hmm. I won't say ne- that your experience is negative, but like a traumatic experience of some sort, you know? It's no secret that Oprah, you know, had an abusive father and like suffered all these things uh, and then kind of recoiled in the, you know, thousand percent opposite direction. Um, I'm always curious as to who are the people that just have it without the trauma. You know, Jerry Seinfeld talked about this at, mm. at one point. And he was like, I had a normal to like, you know, yeah, we were upper middle yeah. class and low and he's super successful. But I found like a lot of it comes like as a in some ways a response to trauma. There you go. That has been the end of. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's my that's my Jerry Seinfeld pontification, um, but yeah, I think it's 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 really 
just interesting to have that self introspection, mm-hmm. you know, along the way. Um, last but not least, mm. um, you've been around the world and mm. done a lot of cool things. Um, what is your current innovation crush? What have you seen out in the world? You're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. It might be something like AI. It could be a, a meal you ate. I don't know. Oh my God. What is my innovation crush? Exactly. See? What? <laughs> <laughs> and it, oh my God. I, I was not prepared for this. Couldn't you have like. No. no that's okay. this, is, you, this is this is a test of your skill. Some you know what it is? You know what it is? It's like, you know, seeing somebody you would never expect innovation from to be innovative. Like, for example, I was doing some work in Cuba and, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of just basic resources that they don't have access to. And so I think somebody like was in a rush getting their coffee at the hotel and they needed a to-go cup. And the guy, um, the hotel worker, like basically just like like rigged together like a to-go cup by putting two cups together and then a rubber band around it and then some kind of like um napkin around it and that was like the to-go cup and and there's actually a word for it in cuba in, in spanish called oh i'm not going to say it correctly but resolver, which is like resolver. To resolve, to, yes to um to kind of like you know resolve to innovate under these massive constraints and i've seen it you know all over whether it's a a slum community or anywhere else you see like innovation can really come from anywhere and so like i think that's my crush is like when i see people doing stuff like that that's a great answer like i i I don't think about it as often or or as uh, eloquently as you do because it's but i do look at this idea of like hey you're an innovator if you find a new way of doing something Mm-hmm. And most times, I think we associate the word with some yeah, grand, like blockchain. Like, uh, like no, actually, it's like, it's like SpaceX the- landed a rocket. Like, it's innovation. Like yeah, it is, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah but right. like the hotel worker, I think it's just as creative yeah. and innovative. Well, and I think another part of your career that we didn't get to touch on a lot is just the idea of bringing that out of people. You know, facilitating, mm-hmm. helping with brainstorms, and turning an individual who didn't think they had that skill and and help it and, and that's a skill once you unlock it it doesn't you, it doesn't go away right um kind of walk us through a little bit of uh, in a facilitation environment how yeah. to bring out some of the best creativity yeah in a facilitated environment i mean what's so amazing is that i've i've like facilitated design thinking sessions with people who would absolutely say I am not a creative person. I do not belong here. I'm a little intimidated by all these sticky notes and all this. <laughs> one person even said like, well, your glasses were really cool. So like, therefore I'm like, I was a little intimidated. I was like, well, sorry, I won't wear those glasses again. Um, but you know, we're working with people, um, you know, like re- in like really rural, like rural communities. Like there's you know, one person attended an event from, she came up from West Virginia and there's like other people who like work for the county or the secretary of state of, of some state and kind of like all these, um, you know, organizations, like very grassroots organizations who don't come across, across that type of thing. And I think it's kind of lowering the barrier to entry and not scaring them with like all these buzzwords and, and scary things, but like literally walking them through a process saying like, Hey, write down five ideas on five sticky notes. And that's all you have to do. Like you can, anybody can come up with ideas. And I think it's, um, the facilitator's job to actually translate that and transform it into like, okay, let's put all those sticky notes on a wall and start to look at the patterns. And now let's like 
blend those things together to create something new. And I think like, it's actually great that you just asked about that innovation crush, because I don't think that it needs to be the most technological thing. It doesn't need to be, you know, uh, the most sexy idea, but I think really innovation is about kind of combining ideas to create something new. And even if it's a completely analog solution, um, that's, that's like where the real wisdom starts to come out of people. And they suddenly look back and say like, Oh my God, that was so much fun. And Oh my God, I actually am a creative person. Yeah. I think that strikes me as also just like leveling the playing field, right? Whether mm-hmm. you're a state expert and you built 85 robots or you like, you're that person who lives in a rural area and maybe Yeah, and we'll a, put those farm. people next to each other yeah. and we'll start by, you know, putting them through an exercise, like draw a toaster, draw a picture of a toaster. And then like the rocket scientist like doesn't know how to draw, but like the, the random person like you know, in the community will. And you're, you're sort of like leveling the playing field by saying like, look, you don't have to be like the best artist in the world. You don't have to be the best whatever, but you're all bringing something different to the table. And it's that combination of different skill sets and mindsets that really kind of create that, that kind of, um, magic and some real solutions. Agile faces. Mm-hmm. Remember that? No. Yes, you do. No. And, uh, at Gov City, when we had to go oh, around. Those, I didn't know what it was called. Ah. Uh-uh. It's called Agile Faces. Yeah, that your face was like, <laughs> <"Woo>, yikes. <laughs> For you guys listening, it's it's a, a exercise where you actually draw a feature of somebody at, like a, in a pair. Like I'll draw your eyes and your eyebrows, and then you hand me my paper back, I hand you yours back, and then we switch partners. And so next, next thing you know, you've got this like really bad construction of your face that's been done by like 20 people. <laughs> you were definitely like clown face McGee. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing good until somebody like totally just did like a line. Like, the, and I was like, what is that? That's, everybody else was being very Bob Ross-like. And we're going to put some eyebrows here, some creases there. Yeah, that was, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is... Unconventional solutions to age-old problems. Ooh, you said this before, haven't you? That's, no, that's, no, that was. Oh, so you freestyled it? No, I did. All right, you can be in my band now. All right. Now that I know you can freestyle. Um, so, what can people do? How can we help? Where do we go? Oh my goodness! Well, um, I would love for people to think about how they can get out the count in their own communities, and you can contact me through my website um, and just uh, fill out the little form, and I'll get back to you. But if you have an idea of a company we should be talking to, an organization, if you want to just do a bunch of stuff on your own, we're always looking for creatives, whatever that means to you, to help out. And so, yeah, I would, I would definitely reach out and I'd be happy to talk to you. Well, I'll give you another free idea. This one's brilliant. Oh, boy. Every time you said the count, I was thinking of the count. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Actually, oh, there's the not my own. Oh, okay. yeah, I was well, going to create a character. It's happened before. I would love for Chris Denson <laughs> to be the count. That that would be new. The the uh, Australian census does it in in one night actually, and we have a period of several months in the U.S. But their population is small enough where they can do it in one night, and they did like all this. Uh, there was there was like a YouTube commercial I always play for for people to show the, the kind of work that we do, where it's like the count thing, like oh, 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 I'm going to count you over this Damn one it. night. All right, yeah. I'm <laughs> but not as original as that thought. Hey, I don't want to dismiss your idea. I still think that you should be the count. And there could with- be only be one. Chris Denson, the count. And one black vampire outside of <laughs> Blade. Because he's yeah, half, he's a half breed. Yeah. 
Hmm. Shout out to Obama. Hmm. So, uh, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Any last words? Anything you want to say? Who you want to leave us with? Oh, well, you, you, I, I you, do think that everyone in the world is creative, and I hope that you can tap into your own creativity. And thank you so much, Chris Denson. It's always a joy to see you. Same here, Mara. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone, we will talk to you next time.